Welcome to the Women Unveiled podcast. I'm your host, Erica Etienne. On this show, I have real conversations with women who remove their masks and share uncut and unfiltered stories of faith, redemption, sacrifice, and more. No subject or story is off limits. It's my belief and my testimony that God is a redeemer. Nothing we experience is a waste. The Lord can use everything you've gone through for your good and His glory. Each week, you'll learn about God's faithfulness, the truth of His power, and how He is present in every trial, just as He promises. So whether you're a new believer or a seasoned saint, you'll be encouraged, empowered, and equipped to keep fighting the good fight of faith. Let's get into this next story. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am here today with the amazing Julia Banks. And she is going to be sharing her amazing story with you all. Tune in, buckle your seatbelts, because this is going to be good. Julia was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey, and she is the founder of She's Awakened Women's Ministry, which was formed for the awareness of her childhood trauma. She uses this platform to encourage healing and empowerment by God's word. So Julia, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for taking time to be here with me today. Hello, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I want to jump right in because I want the people to hear from you. As I said, Julia started her ministry based off her childhood trauma. She experienced some pretty traumatic sexual trauma that was the catalyst for, you know, how her life moved forward. So I want, if you can share some light on what that experience was for you. Well, when I was a young girl, a little girl, I was, I want to say about five, somewhere between five and six years old, my uncle, him and his girlfriend was full of babysitting and my mom was at work. He took me to the bedroom, laid me on the bed and began to perform sexual acts on me. It's weird though, because people that have been experiencing sexual abuse, I now know sometimes remember the details as a dream, but I just vividly remember him pulling up my dress and just, I don't know how far you want me to go into details, but he took his penis and just kind of pushed it up against me. And I know as a kid, I never said anything about it to anyone. I don't know why, but I didn't. And so, but I know at an early age, I was just sexually active. Mm. It started off really early and I just never felt like I was a virgin. A lot of times when people talk about childhood sexual abuse, they talk about the abuser grooming them. So did you ever feel like this individual was conditioning you for that moment or was this abrupt? I mean, you were pretty young, so I don't know if you remember. Right. And I don't, I don't believe he was. I don't believe he had groomed me. You know, when I look back over it now, I realized that he had a lot of pornography magazines around his home and stuff like that. And I'm not even sure if my mom was even aware of those things or was aware that we as children were aware of those things. But as far as him grooming me, no, he didn't groom me. It was just, I think, something that he just did mm. abruptly at that moment. Wow. And one of the things that people can sometimes not recognize is the spirit of lust is vicious. So when you talk about his household, the pornography, the magazines, like that thing was probably brewing. You could have yes. literally been anyone. It 
has to overtake you at the moment that you grab a hold of a five-year-old and want to take advantage of a child sexually in that manner. So I can't even imagine what that defining moment was that pushed him, but my spirit says it was all the way demonic. Absolutely. All the way demonic. I would totally agree. Yes. And his girlfriend was there. Did she witness it or she was just in the house? No, she was in the other part of the house sleep. Wow. Wow. I have so many opinions that I I won't say here, but not about the girlfriend, just about the, Mm -hmm. (laughs) about this in general. Okay. So you didn't tell anyone, which is kind of a natural response. You know, I've talked about my own sexual trauma as a child and it's almost instinct. Although verbally I was told not to say anything and I was threatened. I also know, I feel like there was an instinct in me that knew it was wrong and the shame, it was like all of that was immediately placed. The shame, the guilt, the responsibility. And I knew it was a secret. I knew it wasn't something that I should say. At least I felt that way, even though in hindsight, I should have. But I mean, obviously you felt that same thing. I did. And it's like, it's just on instinct. It just happened instantly. Automatically, I knew that this was not something I was supposed to talk about because he never said, don't say anything. And I think he probably, thinking about it now, talking with you, he probably felt like I was too young to even remember. Mm -hmm. And so, because he never said, don't tell anybody or anything like that. And so, but I just automatically didn't tell anybody. Mm. But then I remember other things happening after that. I'll pause because I don't want to go ahead. But okay, because I remember other things happening where, you know, I just felt like really early on that that was just the natural thing that you were supposed to do. So I remember little boys touching me and thinking that that was okay because that was just what it was supposed to be. And I know before that, I didn't think that way. Yeah, because someone completely perverted your view of what safety was, what was appropriate, what was inappropriate. That line had been completely crossed by someone you trust. So then when you're around other people, you don't know where to draw the line. Like you said, it was normalized and perverted very, very early for you. So what perception could you have? So... With that being said, you know, those kinds of incidents will result in different things, kids acting out in different ways. You didn't tell your mom, but do you feel like there were signs that she could have seen that something was going on with you? I don't know, because my mom was struggling with her own addiction. So I don't know if she would have look at thinking about it now, I would probably say yes. Right, that she was alert and was paying attention, I think she would have said, Okay, something is happening here. You know, why is she acting this way? Because, like I said, I was very promiscuous early on. So, even that would have been signs that, okay, something is going on. What is happening? If anyone was alert and paying attention. Mm -hmm. So, what were the signs? So, promiscuity, anything else? Outside of my, I say control, I don't know if I would say it was control, but I had this, I always felt like I had to protect my siblings, which I realize now, I think part of that was a result of the sexual assault because I felt like it could happen to them. And I remember 
when the uncle came to live with us, I panicked. I was terrified. And that was when I finally told my mom. Mm. I had finally told her because I just automatically felt like if I don't tell her, he's going to do this to my sisters. It was seven of us and I'm the oldest. And so I just didn't want that to happen to them. And so I told her about it. And then she confronted him and he denied it. He denied it and said it wasn't him. It must have been one of their other brothers. How did your mom handle that? And actually, and how did she handle that? I don't know what she said to him. She just told me what he said. He still stayed. So she didn't bar him away from the house. And then I found out later on, not at that time, but sometime earlier, that something happened to one of my sisters as well. From the same uncle? She just don't remember which uncle it was, but she believed it was him because it was at his house. So, but again, we didn't talk about this. Like they didn't know about me until some years ago. And that was when I found out about her because even though I told my mom, the rest of the kids didn't know. No one else knew. Do you remember how that made you feel once you found out he lied? I think part of it was like, you just dirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just, but then I, after I thought about it, like, did I really expect him to say, yes, I'm so sorry I did that. Right. You know, right. like, did I really expect him to own up to Somebody it? that you deceitful, know? would they be honest that they violated you? No, because their perversion right. is more important. And I was still young at the time when I told her, I think I was in high school at that time, maybe a freshman in high school. So, you know, I was still young, but I just. Were you angry as a kid? I was, and I knew from very angry. And I knew that I had to protect me because nobody else was going to protect me. Yeah, yeah. I knew that I was going to have to protect myself. And, you know, and it's interesting today, I thought about how sometimes when you have been sexually abused, you become prey for other people. And it's not that you automatically decide, well, this is what's going to happen, but this is what happened. And I remember today, I just, I had a thought about how when I was seeing this guy, I was maybe about 13, 14. And I remember being around his house and his older uncles and cousins was trying to sleep with me. And these were grown men. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't teenagers. They were grown men. Some were married. Wow. And they thought it was nothing wrong with them making it known that they wanted to have sex with me. That degree of perversion is really, really just insane. And interesting that you should use that analogy. While the abuse for me stopped at a certain age, When I got older, I felt like, and I had experienced a different type of abuse, I felt like, man, there's some kind of sign on me that says, you can take advantage of me. You can abuse me. I'm like something, there's something that's very apparent to others that I am vulnerable. So clearly you had that same experience. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And it's just, it's like, after a while, you feel like, okay, this was just my duty. This was my responsibility was to have sex. And that was that because clearly 
This is all they want from me. They don't want me or to know anything about me. And I'm a kid still. Mm. Like, I'm still a kid. Mm -hmm. I was 14 years old. And y'all are surrounding me or coming after me, doing it sneakily, but you're doing it. And the only reason why they did it, they were sneaking to do it, wasn't because they was ashamed of it, but because I was dating their nephew. Mm. Mm. Not because they thought that, you know, this would be messed up to do. It's just, I mean, oh. And then to just talk about it as if it was just normal. It was normal. Yeah. It was normal. So with that being said, how did that affect your value, your self-worth, how you perceived yourself? Oh my goodness. I don't think I had any self-esteem. I had none. We talk about people having low self-esteem by having none, mm. you know, and I had none. It was nothing. I didn't see any value in me at all. You know, the only value I had was in me sleeping with you, having sex, and that was it. And after that, there was nothing else. So, you know, it affected my self-worth. It affected how I saw myself. And it affected how I showed up in the world. So how did you show up or not show up? I guess a little bit of both, right? I showed up because there were certain things that I had to do, but I didn't really show up. I just put on this mask and just wore this facade and went through the world where people, and it's interesting how people will look at you and say, oh, wow, she seems so confident. She's seen this, she's seen that. And I was so far from that space or that place of confidence. It was hard for me to even fill out the apply for some jobs because I said they're going to need somebody to sit up front. And so I can't get that job. I need to apply for something else. Wow. Yeah. The self-esteem I had was I had none. Wow. That's rough. I can relate, but that's rough. And so when people looked at you and saw what they thought was confidence, they had no idea what it took for you to even show up that much, for you to even be no, present. They did not. They did not. How did this incident kind of shape you like in your teen years and your adult years? Well, I got pregnant at 16. I had them at 17. And then I had my second one at 19. There were so many other factors as well, you know, with my mom addiction and different things like that. But when I talk, focusing on the sexual abuse, I didn't really have boyfriends because I just had sex, you know, and the one guy. My daughter's dad, my son's the first child dad, which is my son's dad, that was just an abusive situation. He was physically abusive, emotional abusive, and I stayed in that relationship for years. And then after him, I met my daughter's dad, and he was nice. He was totally the opposite of my first child's dad. But my teens was just, it was just crazy. It was just up and down. I remember more sad days than happy. You know, not knowing who I am, not knowing my own worth. I just, you know, I slept around a lot. And I guess some people say looking for love. I don't even know I was looking for love. I just thought that was what that was a requirement. Mm. You know, I thought that that was my, I guess you could almost say your duty. Right. You know that this was what I was supposed to do. And so that's how I showed up. That's what I did. Which makes it about everyone else and not about you at all. Absolutely. And not about you. At I all. mean, 
I don't know how much we could talk about, but please have an orgasm. I don't think I had that till I was well into my old age. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because it was always about this. Yeah. I didn't even know I was supposed to have one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I will just leave it because we can turn the corner here. <laughs> but no, I mean, to that end, again, it became about serving other people. It had nothing to do with you. Even, you know, obviously as believers, we believe that, you know, obviously sex is for the covenant of marriage. But when that's been distorted for you, that wasn't on your mind. It is, this is something I do. This is what's expected of me. And I'm just going with it, you know? So how did all of this, you know, affect your faith walk? Well, when I became a Christian, because so I became a Christian now. And so I struggled a lot with the abstinence piece. I struggled a lot with salvation, period. But my pastor was a woman pastor and she was a single woman and she was really one of those she just taught a lot on living holy and abstinence you know i think abstinence i say now i don't know what was happening but abstinence was like a common teaching in our <laughs> services so i struggled a lot to try to live holy one of the things i never grasped until later on in life was that holiness or me abstaining from sex couldn't be about just, I'm going to go to hell or, you know, cause that was the message I got all the time. You know, if you're going to, you can go to hell, this, that, you know, God says, you know, to be holy because he is holy. Oh my goodness. I heard that stuff. I heard though. I don't want to say that stuff as if it's not true because you know, God's word is true. He does say be holy because he is holy. However, I felt what did that for me, what brought me to a place wanting to abstain was understanding who I was. And sometimes preachers, when they're teaching that message, they don't understand that people's identity sometimes is tied to that because of the abuse that they have experienced. So you can preach that to me all day long, but I don't know who I am. And the only time I know who I am is when I'm sleeping with somebody, then that's what I'm going to do because that makes me feel as if I belong or I'm a part of, but that's where my worth comes from. So when you're telling me that I can't do this any longer because I'm not married, I'm going to have a hard time with that mm -hmm. because then what do I do with the rest of my life? Exactly. What do I do with myself? Mm -hmm. And so when God began to deal with me himself and began to let me know my value, I remember one time I was homeless. I was living in a shelter and I was seeing this guy. And I remember we were seeing each other maybe for a little while, wasn't even that long. And we had sex and then he didn't call me. And then I remember telling the counselor there, I said, well, we had sex. I said, but he didn't call me. So no big deal. And she looked at me. And I was a Christian then. And she looked at me and she said, huh? I said, it's not a big deal. She said, why is not? I said, huh? It is? I was an adult. I was an adult. And her look at me, the way she looked at me, made me feel as if I said something wrong when I said it didn't matter. And I looked at her 
I said, should it matter? And she said, yes, it should matter, Julia. And just having her say that to me started the mindset shift. It was slow because it wasn't like there was a lot of people around to keep reinforcing that. But it just stayed in the back of my mind that I do matter. Like, I'm not supposed to just do this. Like, he wasn't supposed to sleep with me and then, like he didn't know me the next day. Mm-hmm. As time went on, I feel like that was the breaking when God went that conversation with her. And then God began to deal with me. It was years later, but then God began to deal with me and begin to reveal to me that my value, that it wasn't me being abstinent, wasn't so much about me not pleasing him, but it was about me owning my worth, knowing my value. And when the Lord began to deal with me about that, and when I say the Lord, I literally mean him alone. There was no preacher. There was no teacher. There was no book. There was him and I having a conversation, and he began to deal with me and begin to reveal to me my worth and how he wanted to bring me to a place of loving me enough and caring about me enough to not want to just give myself away. Mm -hmm. I try to explain to people when you're preaching those kinds of messages, the best thing you can do is point people to the Lord, point people to Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit to do the convicting because you can browbeat all day. But like you said, if I don't know who I am, you're kind of just puffing air, right? Because I don't know how to translate that message into something that I can do because someone has already distorted how I think about this thing where you are trying to point me to holiness by behavior. There's something deeper that has to happen internally for me to want to change my behavior. So the more I fall in love with God himself, the more God shows me who he designed me to be, the easier it becomes for me to want to do things differently. My view of myself has changed. My view of God has been transformed. But if you strictly just tell me, don't do this, because if you do this, you're going to go to hell. That's not enough to transform my mind. It's not enough. I'm saying me, but I mean us as a collective body. Those messages didn't work. You know, those messages don't work. And so I love that you spotlighted that for us. So that moment, that conversation with your counselor kind of triggered a transformation. And this healing process for you, is this something that you are still pursuing daily? What did it look like? You know, you talked about the counselor, you talked about the Lord dealing with you. Is there anything else that you say was critical to your healing process? Oh, wow. One of the things the Lord told me was, well, not the Lord told me, but a few years ago, I was attending a church and the pastor closed down. And I was so used to going to church that I went to a Spanish speaking church. I don't speak Spanish. So, and they weren't bilingual. I wow. remember sitting in there. <laughs> I remember being in there. But I felt the presence of God there. It was as if this church was, if somebody came in that didn't speak Spanish, then they would have somebody translate, stand next to them and translate or something like that. So the preachers are preaching this day. He's speaking in Spanish and his wife is translating. 
the after it's over, the mother-in-law get up. She's the overseer. She does not speak any English. I don't know what she said. All I know was I felt the wind of God come in that place. Mm. The power of God came. And I said, somebody, please tell me, what did she say? What did she say? And no one would interpret. I don't know why they wouldn't interpret. Nobody would interpret. So I left. But I said, God, I can't do this no more. I'm not going back <laughs> there. And I'm just going to stay home. And I did. I stayed home. I did not go. This is this was before the pandemic. And I stayed home. But it was in that time of me not going to church, not having to be on the usher board, not having to teach the Sunday school, not having to do any of these things that I was doing where God and I met. Now, this was years after going to church. And it's because I started going, I got saved at 19. Mm -hmm. And so, and during that time, the Lord began to deal with me about all of the stuff that I had been carrying. Because mind you, up until this point, I'm still thinking I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I'm doing okay. And not looking at the patterns, not looking at some of these behaviors and different things I have. I'm still thinking that I'm okay. But it was the Lord that began to really, it was as if he removed everything. The kids was grown. They were out of the home and I was there alone. And I had this come to me moment where I just began to break down. All of a sudden I felt alone. And then God began to deal with me about all that pain, all that trauma that I had been carrying for years and had not dealt with. And so then I started going to counseling and seeking out coaching and doing some work to help me in that particular area. And I mean, because I've dealt with, I've had complex trauma in my life. So, you know, there's other things, but the sexual abuse was one of those things that really had affected my self-esteem. And I started dating a guy. And one of the things the Lord said to me, plain as day, was don't sleep with him. Mm. Now, mind you, we know the word of God says don't do this. Yeah. Right. We know that. But when I say the Lord said, I mean... I went to my mother's house to wash clothes and we're sitting and we're talking and I got my hands up because sometimes people get together and worship because by now my mom was saved and all of that. And I got my hands up and they worship God. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment. He said, he's going to go away. He's going to come back. Don't sleep with him. I said, I sighed. If I don't sleep with him, you know, he ain't going to stay around. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I sighed, but I did not sleep with him. And it was the hardest thing, but I did not sleep with him. I felt like God was testing me. I don't know, but I did not sleep. I wasn't going to take a chance. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Tell me about it. And I did not sleep with him. And we didn't stay together long, but I still was able to honor what God said, do not do, which had been the first Wow. because that hadn't always happened. And I was able to do that. And I went through. Me and God had a hard conversation about <laughs> this. <laughs> because I'm like, God, you know, I thought when you said don't do it and I wasn't going to do it, I thought the end result was going to be different. Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to open his eyes and say, oh, you the one. <laughs> you thought a proposal was on the other side of that thing, right? <laughs> the heavens opened, the sun came down. <laughs> 
tell the truth. That's not, that's not, <laughs> yes, and that's not what happened. And I'm like, okay, God, I don't know what your plan was here. But and like, in that moment, we will take stuff into our own hands because we're like, wait a minute, this didn't go the way I envisioned it when you told me to obey. So let me go ahead and take over from here because you, God, I'm not sure if you got this right. <laughs> I just knew I couldn't. I mm-hmm. couldn't. I couldn't. But you honored it. I just it. knew I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just knew I couldn't. So I thank God. But it told me something. It told me that, you know what, I had got to the place where I could value me more than someone else. You know what I mean? That having me and being able to look at myself and say, you know what, that I didn't give in was I could celebrate that. I could be proud of that for me. Yeah, God did that for you. Yeah. It wasn't about him. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So, you know, so I thank God for that. That's so good. So why is it important to you to unveil and share your story? Because I want other women to know that they can get to the other side of it, no matter what it is that they have experienced, that they can live through it. They just don't have to survive, but that they can thrive and get to the other side of it. You know, I shared about one experience with sexual abuse, but there have been others and other situations that I have experienced. And God has been able to help me to heal those parts of me, the shame, the blame, you know, because I blame myself. I carry that shame. I carry that guilt. You know, you've heard me say that I was promiscuous. And so I put myself in some situations that wasn't always good. But once I allowed myself to get to the place of healing or allowed myself to even go through the process to be healed and to really look at that thing, I was able to get to the other side of it. Yeah. So don't give up on you. You can get to the other side. Amen. What are three things that you think people can do if they've experienced what you have? to heal or to start their recovery? Well, if there's someone that has experienced this now, or it doesn't even matter if it was now or when, but never ever talk to anyone about it, I would say there is a sexual hotline number, RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, that you can contact, and that number is 1-800-656-4673. You can call them and that they can connect you to a counselor someone that you can speak to, and they can even give you some information in regards to your local area. Another thing I would suggest is start talking to someone. Find someone that you can talk to. There may not be someone in your circle. I remember one time, and it wasn't even in regards to sexual abuse, but I was so overwhelmed. I went to the local college in my city and asked them if there was somebody there that I could talk to. And they connected me to a center they had on campus. And I just went in and sat down and just unloaded all of it and left and felt so much better. Sometimes you just need to find somebody that you can go to and talk to. It may not be someone you know, but you know, find out if there's someone in your local area that you can talk to. Another thing you can do is journal, pray, Those are things that I've done that helped me in my process. Thank you so much. I want to just commend you for your bravery to share this. I mean, this is obviously a very personal matter, something that affected you for a lifetime. But thank you for coming on the show to share your story with everyone. 
You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So if you have a story that you want to share, Julia is currently working on an anthology called She's Awakened. And so you can contact her. Her information will be in the show notes. And if you're wanting to talk about your healing from the pain and you're walking in purpose and power now, you can connect with her to find out how you can put that story into print and share it with the world. So again, I appreciate you, Julia, for coming. You guys tune in. Make sure you share this episode with a friend. And I pray it blesses you. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this story has been as much of an encouragement to you as it was to me and a reminder of the power in sharing your story. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with every powerful woman you know. As always, you can keep up with all the latest Women Unveiled happenings by joining our mailing list at womenunveiled.info and following us on Instagram. All the links and resources from today's episode will be in the show notes. That's all for now. See you next time.